0: I enjoy the interactions I have with people out in the daily round of life. I was in a place of business this week and a lady, I was at the checkout line and the lady said, here he is. And she pointed over to the next lady in the next checkout line. This is the man I've been telling you about. You need to listen to what he has to say. He's got something you need to hear. And she Preacher, pray for these folks around here. I tell them they need to listen to you. (laughs) And then yesterday, I thought of Dr. Smith and his bow tie. I wish I could work up enough courage to wear one. It takes a certain kind of guy to do that. I noticed Anthony's got on one, several of these young men. It must must be something about these young men. But I I wish I could. I, I admire them. I just don't know what I would look like in one. The last time I had on one, I stood here and said I do, and, and I, I, I just don't know about the, the bow tie situation. But uh, yesterday, this guy saw me and I didn't have a tie on. He, just, he didn't even know me. He said, "You're not working today?" <laughs> As if I could only pastor at a tie. I said, "No, this is this is my choice to be like this." But uh, it's interesting the perceptions that people have and what, what. I wonder if that bow tie would help me. You think it? Would, you think it'd add to? spiserinctum or something like that you know give me i don't know about that we'll have to see we're always glad to have folks with us and some of our former members are here don and shirley hammond these folks have the privilege of living in gatlinburg not in gatlinburg on the outside you go up there to visit they live up there on the mountainside and the hammonds were members here for several years so good to see you folks brother hammond and miss adams are brother and sister so i can just tie all those knots together and you can you can know the connections there And we love these folks they're very precious to us Well, the scriptures before us, it's in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph's bondage. Are you in bondage this morning? I hope not. It may be by your own doing that you're there. All of us are born into bondage, and so we need to be set free. There's some in bondage because of circumstances that have happened to you that were beyond your own personal control. But I hope you see before we leave here today that there's one who's in control of the circumstances. People often say, how are you doing? And we'll often respond, well, pretty good under the circumstances. And I often add, which are highly unusual. <laughs> Most of my circumstances seem to be. But God is the God of circumstances. And so I call us all this morning to look from the pit and look to the God beyond who's in control of all that's going on in our lives. This is just the stuff today that we deal with. But God has a, a glorious pattern. He has a map that He's going by to get you to heaven. And guess what? You may be off where you should be, but those of you who are saved will arrive on heaven's shore just as surely as I'm standing here. How we get there, now that's, that's a something else. And we do need His grace and help. Joseph needed God's grace and help, and guess what? That's exactly what he got. It came in the form of a, of a group of people coming through, buying and selling. That wasn't his idea, that wasn't the way he wanted to go, but the Lord has a plan much bigger than what's going on in your life right this moment. Can you say amen into that? Gracious Heavenly Father, this is your word. We come and submit ourselves to it. It is the last it is the alpha and Omega of all that you've ever wanted man to know. And so we would do will to give earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And there's always a danger that we can let truth slip by and miss it. Lord, we as your people, don't want to miss a thing. Oh, don't let us miss a single truth, a single blessing that you have with our name on it. Lord, this is the portion of Scripture you have for us here at Glen Iris this morning. We're we're convinced of it. If that's the case where we have faithfully followed your plan, here we are. And so we're very confident that the menu will fit every circumstance, no matter what it may be. Your word is glorious like that. And you're amazing. And we praise you. And we thank you for our inheritance in Christ, our riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we come this morning to claim them. In your precious name, Son's name, we ask it. Amen. The sons of Jacob are a complete disappointment and a constant grief to their father. They had grown up to be men of the world, influenced by the strife at home, by the low morals of the people of Shechem. They had so grieved their father by their values and by their attitudes. What we value always comes out in our attitudes and actions. They had so shown their true colors that Jacob passes over them all, And goes down to the youngest at this time. There will be another one born. Or has been another one born. Benjamin. But next to the youngest. To Jacob. He passes over them. And makes Jacob his next to the youngest son. The head of the family. An unheard of thing. In the culture of that day. When Jacob gives Joseph that beautiful. And lavish coat of many colors. And Joseph saw it. When he opened the box and saw what was in it, when his dad said, go get the box and open it and see there, but that's yours, he knew immediately what it meant. And as he put it on and wore it, when anybody saw, they knew exactly what it meant. Three things were symbolized by that coat. First, the coat spoke of priesthood. This position, this honored position in the patriarchal home should have been Reuben's, but Reuben had disqualified himself. Reuben's instability of character and sinful actions made him a castaway as far as the priesthood of the family was concerned. That priesthood position of the family was vitally important. It required character. It required conviction and courage, but most of all, it required godliness. The second thing that the coat of colors represented was progenitorship. The rights and the privileges of the firstborn, the heir to the throne, the heir to the family business, the head of the family, that position so revered in that day and in that culture, and the scripture makes much of it as well. This would be The one from whom the descendants of God would receive the blessings that God has entrusted to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thirdly, the robe represented priority. The heir of the father's estate would receive a double portion of all that the father had. What an exalted and responsible position it was. This would be Jacob's privilege now along with the lavish robe, here an 18-year-old boy with older, much older brothers in their 50s and 60s and so forth, has come on the scene and a a statement has been made in a very open and visual way. And they didn't like it one little bit, as you can imagine. This would be Joseph's privilege now, along, along with the lavish robe, the symbol of it all. Jacob For all of his failures, with the eye of faith, could see into the future. You can too. Did you know that? Not with a crystal ball and not with a palm reader or a seer. You have before you God's infallible word. His final word on all things. And we, though we're nothing here today, as I share with you, that woman said, there he is, and the other lady, what I didn't tell you, she said, well, who is that? Like, who... He didn't look like much to me, and I said, I'm not anybody. I want you to know that. The other lady was making such an ado. people behind me, it was very embarrassing. I said, I'm nobody at all. Not because we have any special abilities, but I can tell you exactly how the world is going to end. You have to be careful, those date setters. I didn't say July the 24th, 2015, but I do know how it's going to end. I know it with all the assurance of me standing here today. Peter tells us, doesn't he? The world will melt with fervent heat that God causes, not man, not the global warming. Oh, it'll be global warming, all right, but. <laughs> it will melt with fervent heat, and everything you see will be dissolved. I can say that with all boldness. I can assure you that God will restore all things to their primeval condition. How do I know that? I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. Praise the Lord. If that doesn't get you excited on the Lord's day, we'll get to see what Adam saw. Beautifully, gloriously restored. For the first earth and the first heaven were what? Passed away. God, he says, I behold, I make all things new. Now, I could go and make other boasts, but I boast not in myself today. Our boast is in the Lord. And in the eye, with the eye of faith, and because what God has told us, you can see into the future too. God's infallible word, and with the guidance of his Holy Spirit, we can make godly choices. We can decide here today what will influence events hundreds and thousands of years from now. You, like Jacob, can make decisions today with eternity's values in view. What does God think about these eternal things? What does His Word say about it? And we live accordingly to those things and make our decisions with that in view. Everything we do, what saith the Lord? What would the Lord have me to do? And you'll always make the right choice. You don't need a fortune teller. Open the book and find out what... The Lord has said, and what He's going to do. He's told us what He's going to do, hasn't He? This speaks of God the Father delighting in His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that over and over again. There's such beautiful passages that talks about the Father delighting in the Son. They, in eternity, he he passed in perfect communion, and yet He left the splendor of heaven, knowing the agony came to this earth and took on the form of man. The Father trusts the Son with all of His authority and power. God the Father told the Lord Jesus Christ, You represent Me. Now go to My people and show all powers given unto you in heaven and earth. That's what Jacob did to to, to, uh, to, to Joseph. He entrusted him. What a trust that is. Our Father has entrusted the Son... With that kind of authority. And then the son says, because all power is given to me, go ye therefore. In the same vein. How can we do such? We have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. We have his word, the message to give. Go ye into all the world and proclaim this message to everybody in every tongue and make disciples. God the son would come into his own and his own would receive him not. Now, there's some who criticize making Joseph a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they use the fact that the New Testament says nothing of the kind. But a type is a type. Really, a type in the scripture is a kind of prophecy. And we see in Joseph some events that will take place, very close parallels and similarities to our Lord Jesus Christ. Did he not come to his brethren? And his brethren said, no, we're not going to have this man to reign over us. We'll take care of that. We'll kill him. Now, what Joseph's brothers said about him? The Lord would come into his own, and his own will receive him not. The priesthood, the property, and the power were all vested in him by the Father. Jacob was acting as a steward of God, just like you are, by the way. Some of you are sitting there and say, well, I don't have anything to leave. I don't have any affairs like this. But whatever you have, your very breath is a stewardship of God. He's left you here for this period of time. You better be finding out what it's here for because he will ask you about what he vested into you and how you invested it at the judgment seat. And some will just have the talent and put it there, and and, and the Lord will not be happy about that. You aren't left here just to soak up sunshine and oxygen. That would be a good place to say amen, church. Amen. You've been left here to glorify the Father and take care of His business. And He's going to ask you about your corner of the vineyard when you stand before Him. It's as simple as that. May we all seek the Lord's face and His will and all of our decisions. No matter how minute they may seem and live and decide with eternity's values in view. Because one day it's going to be very clear to you what God put high stock on. The souls of men. His glorious gospel. His beloved bride, his church that he loved and gave himself for. Joseph's brothers, as we have seen, had been away from the father's presence, immediate presence for quite some time. And the the scripture intimates that whatever else they were involved in, besides tending their father's business in flocks, they seemed to be up to no good. They went 40 miles away to Shechem to do it. And they didn't want it found out by their father. And there was no email or internet or telephone in that day. So you could go 40 miles and pretty much you're in another world. It would be very, very rare for Jacob to get that attention that information my my uh, ancestors were from utah alabama it's probably about 30 miles from tuscaloosa i don't know but my daddy said when he was a little boy when they would go to tuscaloosa from utah on uh saturday it would take all day long to get there and back in a wagon and uh, late into the night would they get there in time is What used to be great distances now have been eaten up by, you know, travel and all the the things that we have today. But the brothers were off hoping their father wouldn't, were they, did they have a sideline business with the men of Shechem? Were they cohabiting with the women? We don't know what, but we know it was an evil report, wasn't it? We saw last week how Joseph felt burdened that his daddy needed to know about how his, what was going on. Now, Joseph is about 18 years old old when he was sent off to check on his brothers i think don't you think that jacob must have had a hunch knowing his boys knowing their track record to this date that things probably weren't up to par and so he he sends jacob the well beloved we would scratch our head and say why would you put him in harm's way and yet Jacob is deciding and making this decision, God is, is intervening. We call this the providence of God in getting Jacob to be right where he needs to be. Now, I don't want to pile on Joseph, but some point out that Joseph was full of pride at this point. He'd been given great authority, great privilege... At 18, what would you've done with that kind of position? At age 18, you probably would have gone to your older brothers and said, "Guess what? I just got from from dad. You like it? Maybe would have. I'm just. I know Chris Lamb, and I had older brothers. I looked for any opportunity to impress them, which rarely ever happened. But also the the pride that might have come from, as Paul said, by the. The revelations given to me, lest I be exalted above measure, the Lord allowed a thorn to come my way. What? Just to, to put the level us, put us where we need to be. We can put things in perspective. Great perspective, great giftedness and privilege and opportunities have to be handled with, with reverence and humbleness, and many people don't pass that test. Do you see that God has plans for Joseph? His daddy would have ruined him if he'd stayed in that home. His brothers would have killed him for sure if they could have, but they can't, can they? Can they? They changed their mind. Who changed their mind for them to change their mind? God's in control. And harm would have come to Joseph had God not intervened, but he's got a plan. He's got to get Joseph out of there. He would already reported to his father their evil lifestyle and business practices or whatever was there back in chapter 37, verse 2. Now Joseph is sent out on a mission from which he would not return. When Joseph's brothers saw him, they envied him. And envy doesn't stay. Do you realize that any sin, whatever it is, does not stay like it is? It is an egg waiting to hatch into a monster. Every evil thought is a murder or immorality or some horrible atrocity in the making. My daddy used to say when he'd see somebody flying down the road, just lickety-split, not observing the, uh, the, uh, the speed limit or anything, he said, their son goes in accident looking for a place to happen. You've seen them come by, just passing everybody and weaving in and out, and you know you just fully expect to see them in pieces up the road. Every evil thought, every lust, is an egg awaiting to ha- to hatch a monster that will kill you if left undealt with. That's why it must be killed in the embryo. It must be killed in the thought, or the thought will lead to an action, to a deed, to a monstrous end that you will not recognize or want, no matter how desirable the lust is in the thought it will end up into something that will destroy you if left to itself envy or jealousy is one of the works of the flesh we have to kill it it springs up in our hearts all the time we see someone a coworker, get a new office with a window the corner office or a, a company car or we see a brother in the Lord who seems to, the Lord has just blessed him. And we wonder why. We, we are more blessable than he is. We should have gotten the blessing. How could the Lord waste that on him or, or her? And that envy, that thought that, ugh, that bothers me. We wouldn't say it necessarily in the, in the thought place. We just kind of look over there and say, are you serious? You've got to be kidding. What about me? That's where we go, isn't it? Envy, if left unchecked, if you don't kill that, and pray for that person and say, Lord, thank you, bless them, give them a suite instead of an office, in a limousine instead of a company car, or whatever, and I'm being a little facetious there. Lord, you are in charge of all things. You know who you can trust what to, and I thank you that things are as well as they are with me right now. You've met every need, and I, I praise you for your goodness and direction, and Lord, help me to be trustworthy. Help me to be a good steward over the little that you've given me. And if you see fit to give me something else, give me sense enough not to blow it. That's what we should be praying. But envy simmers. And do you know what it becomes? It becomes jealousy. And then all of a sudden, if, if left unchecked, it will become a monster. Some deed. Some plot. Some scheme. That we wouldn't recognize. Joseph's brothers would sell him as a slave rather than actually physically kill him. But kill him they did. Because murder is more than just stabbing or beating someone in the head with a club. They cut him off. And there are people who sit in church all the time who have cut people out of their lives. Pretend they're not there. Withhold affection. Will not be made right with the brother or sister. Or who would kill him if they could. Their hatred for that person has annihilated them from off the face of the earth. What difference is it? Jesus said it is the same thing. If you hate a brother, hate someone else, you have murdered them. We like to redefine Bible terms, but we better let the Bible speak for itself. That's what the court of heaven, it doesn't matter what your opinion of a, of a law is, it matters what it says and what the judge will rule on. And may I tell you, in the court of heaven, the judge has already spoken that hatred and envy is murder. So when you look at it that way, you better drag it out and chop it up when it comes in your heart and mind, because that's the, what, the way the Lord looks at it. Are we, are we together here today? Warren Wearsby says the combination of hatred and envy is lethal. If it stops there, how many crimes could be aborted? How many marriages could be saved? How many friendships could be healed? The combination of hatred and envy is lethal. It simmers in the heart and waits for the spark that will set off the explosion. And may I add to Dr. Wearsby's comment there, the shrapnel from that explosion will wound everyone in its course. The brothers didn't have to be tempted in order to decide to harm Joseph. All they needed was opportunity. If, if we don't kill the sin in our mind, while it is still a thought, it will hatch into a monstrous deed out of control and fatal, in its end result in the heart and hands. When they saw him, they said to one another, well, here comes the dream expert. Wonder what he's going to tell us today that he's dreamed about him, us bowing before him and all that. They come up with a monstrous, cruel plot. They discussed killing him, but couldn't quite bring themselves to that or leave him to die in a pit, but I think they must have discovered, come to the conclusion, well, he could get out. If we leave him here, somebody could come along and hear him cry. And the Bible tells us he was pleading for his life the whole time. Someone may hear him, and then if he got back to daddy and he found that out, we would be in trouble. Reuben planned to come back and, and rescue Joseph. It seems that if he talked him into putting him in the pit he would come back after they were gone and rescue his brother and plan a way for him to, to get out of it alive. Common, uh, commendably, since Joseph replaced Reuben as the firstborn, isn't it amazing that Reuben would be so gracious in the matter? It shows that I think that Reuben has come to a place of repentance and is coming to the Lord. Can you imagine Joseph's terror and panic when his brothers seize him, strip off the the coat and throw him down these cisterns were so deep and so narrow the only way to get out they were cisterns to hold water but this one was dry and they would the only way to get somebody out of out of a situation like that is to throw a, a rope down to them and pull them out there was no way that that joseph could climb out he was listening to his brothers discuss his fate Genesis 42 verse 21 says that he he calls to them and and pleads from them from the pit, begging and pleading with them to spare him. How cruel can you get? Death and life are in the power of the tongue, the scripture tells us. They stripped Joseph's robe, no doubt jeering at him and delighting in disgracing him. It does remind us of our Lord, doesn't it? The royal robe that they put on him in mockery. Oh, Isaiah saw him with a robe whose train filled the temple. Great majesty and honor and glory are his. They stripped off that purple robe and mocked him and disgraced our Lord. They sat down and ate a meal while their brother is pleading for his life in the pit. The Bible tells us in the, the gospel record that sitting down, they watched him there. That cruel crowd, like they were at some kind of sporting event, like some kind of race or boxing match or or a football game. They sat down just to be entertained, eating a meal as brothers. Do you see how sin desensitizes our normal senses, our normal justice of right and wrong? People do horrible things makes us act inhumanly, insanely. And when we are in sin, we are insane. It's not wise. It's against the Word of God. You're the closest thing to an insane person when you are acting in sin, carrying out the lust and the deeds and the thoughts of the heart. Sin removes restraint. God places conscience and holy fences within us. To keep us to act aright. But when we sin. We climb over those fences don't we. And open ourselves to a whole world of possibilities. Of how that will end up. It removes restraint. And saneness of judgment. Until it becomes the master sin is. And we the slave. And I want to remind you child of God. You are not exempt from that. You see David. Being where he wasn't supposed to be. Then he concocts a plan. The plan leads to murder. And he goes on and on and on. A man after God's own heart. Sin hardens the heart. That's why we must often be in the word, daily in the word. The word is the only thing that can plow that up. Under the, the preaching of the word like I'm doing this morning. The teaching of the word of God. to remind are, where we were, where we're headed, what our duties are, our riches in glory, the grace of God, the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded of those things hourly. None of us are exempt because, as Jeremiah 17 verse 9 proclaims, the heart, which is the mind, the will, and the emotions is deceitful above all things and pretty wicked, a little wicked. Some wicked. What does the scripture say? Desperately wicked. Desperate means without hope if left to itself. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand it? Who can make sense out of a heart left to itself? A group, a caravan just happens alone at the right moment. Is that what happens? Well, a caravan comes along, but I will tell you the providence of God had them there at that moment when these men had murderous thoughts and all kinds of plots going on. Anything could have happened, and God sends this caravan, this trading caravan, alone. And one of them says, look, why don't we just, let's don't blow, we might as well make some money off this deal. See how sinful the heart is? We'll just sell our brother." Sell him to these, this caravan. He wasn't likely to come back from Egypt, was he? To reveal what they had done. But I can, can I just pause right here and say to Joseph's brothers, would you listen to me as I try to advise them? And us? Can I just remind you of a simple premise of Scripture? Be sure your sin will... Absolutely, (laughs) all the time, at some time, find you out. That, children of God, is a principle, a law of the spiritual universe that is is more unalterable than the law of gravity. The law of gravity may fail, but that law will not fail. The Lord has spoken it. It has a companion principle that we could attach right to it. It says, be not deceived. If, if the scripture tells us don't be something, then there's a high possibility that we can be if we don't take action. So when the scripture is saying, be not deceived, it is highly possible that that's a possibility for you and me. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You don't sin and get by with it. You don't say, I'll do it my own way, whether there's a God in heaven or not. That's what people do, but I need to remind us, God is not mocked whatsoever a man sows that he will also reap. Now, I have planted tomatoes. We keep debating on whether to move them or not and where to put them and that kind of thing. You know how you want it in the best place. And I talked to some old men at the the feed center and they all have their opinion about it. So I'm trying several different things. I asked Brother Marcus if he had his tomatoes in the ground. He often supplies me with some. I tell him we're counting on it. You know, I I plant mine, but I go around to all those masters that I know and hope they've got some in the ground too. Planted some herbs and that, that kind of thing. And I'm expecting, I'm expecting some tomatoes off those tomato plants. I don't expect apples from them. I don't expect bananas from them. But I do expect because of the law of nature that this, everything will reproduce after it's kind. And there's a spiritual law that says that we will reap what we sow. My blackberry plant is looking beautiful, folks. Thank you. These guys forgot something. Jacob's son forgot that we all what we all forget when we're acting sinfully. God... Is watching. And he is still in control of the meanest people on earth, the most heathen of the heathen, and the most so called godly of the hypocrites. He's in control of all of us, saved and unsaved. He has infinite and sovereign purposes to fulfill, and not Joseph's brothers are going to be able to stop the God of heaven to get Joseph out of that situation and into Egypt because God sees three hundred miles down the road, three hundred years down the road, doesn't he? And none of the schemes of man can thwart him. Aren't you? Can you just say praise the Lord right there? There's not there's not an atomic bomb, there's not a government, there's not a supreme court that can thwart the eternal plans of God. We rest in that. It doesn't make us like the, the deterioration of our society, and we should pray fervently and do what we can to influence it in every way. But at the end of it all, there is a God in heaven, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar. He sees and knows all things. Proverbs 21, verse 30, There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the lord all of this points to mankind's desperate need for a savior we'd all agree that joseph's brothers are mean at best right here aren't they at least and and we could think of all kinds of other things to call them don't they need a savior i mean it's easy to see when you're looking at somebody else reading somebody else's biography boy they're and i read biographies that's if i read anything outside of my study it's, it's biographies and you read some people's lives and you say my Goodness gracious. These guys need some help. They need divine intervention. And that's exactly what they're going to get. From Cain until now. Sibling rivalry, jealousy, envy, murder, family feuds, escalate. Only a work of grace in the heart by the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, can intervene And stop the madness. For some reason, Reuben wasn't there when the transaction was actually made. We're not told why, but he he wasn't there. And when he comes back, he's shocked. And he returned to the the cistern and found Joseph gone. He's genuinely grieved. Look there in verse 29. And Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in it, and he rent his clothes. That sign of absolute, utter grief and woe. In agony. It was the worst thing a person could do to show that they were in abject pain and sorrow over a situation. He's genuinely grieved. This shows, I think, again, a repentant Reuben. We look for signs of repentance in people's lives, and there are telltale signs of what we grieve over. He wasn't grieving over his 20 pieces, part of his 20 pieces of silver. I wonder how they divided that up. It's always amazing, isn't it? He was grieved over his brother. The Bible teaches in Proverbs 28 verse 13, whoso covers his sin will not prosper. prosper." Let me say that again because I need to hear it. If I do, you do. Whoso covereth his sin shall not prosper. This is the unalterable law of a Sovereign God who's in control of all things. Down through the ages, men have thought they could do whatever they wanted to do. And in many cases, that is true, it seems, from the outside. But I remind you, all we can see is the outside. We can't see the inside. But the second part of that lie is that it doesn't matter what we do. I can do whatever I want to. The second part of that that false reasoning, and it doesn't matter. And people will usually say, as long as I'm not, what, hurting anyone. And they always do. That kind of reasoning is fallacious. They do hurt people by their decisions. You don't know. You don't have sense enough to to see into the future, to see what the consequence of that choice that sin is going to do to unborn people, relationships, testimonies, the cause of Christ. That is part of the lie that Satan lets people believe. You can sin and get by with it, and it really doesn't matter as long as it doesn't so-called hurt anybody. Most people reason. That's That's their philosophy of life. I can do drugs. I can have illicit affairs. I can do business under the table. I can do whatever I want to as long as... Really what they're saying, as long as not many people find out or if it doesn't hurt anybody, it's just my way of doing things. It does matter, though. God sees and hears. And do you understand that the fear of the Lord is that, that that God does see and hear. Every motive, every thought, every deed, no matter how secret or how well covered it may be, no one Please hear me. No one can ignore God's law without its consequences. I could ignore the law of gravity. I will be a fool to do so. Because the law of gravity will function whether Chris Lamb agrees with it or likes it or ignores it. I was seeing a young person do a crazy thing on a bicycle the other day. And I said, you're going to break your neck. I know I've done it hundreds of times. I said, it only takes one time to break your neck. You better stop doing that. The old man, you know, the gray hair comes by and spoils all the fun. You're going to come down that hill and do that flip one time and it's not going to work out just like you thought it was going to. You can do it a thousand times, but there's only a thousand and one that takes to, to make it unalterable. One sin leads to another. Envy led to hatred, which led to murder, and now we've got to cover it all up and do what? Lie to Daddy about the whole scenario. They will tell their father that a wild beast evidently overcame Jacob, uh, Joseph, because all they found was his robe, which they killed a a kid of the goat and dipped the, the, the coat in the blood. You know. Crimes are never perfect. You hear about the perfect crime. In this case, I'm a I'm a kind of a Sherlock Holmes kind of a person. And I've investigated this crime. And one of the remarkable things about it to me is that the, the, the garment, the coat wasn't shredded. Jacob should have thought a little bit more and asked more questions. And he just immediately jumped to conclusions because he saw blood. A wild beast has killed him. And they said, oh, yeah, they just went along with that. That was great, wasn't it? What a heartless way to treat their father. Do you see how cruel sin is? How unreasonably, how unmanly, how low it causes us to stoop? The Proverbs 12, verse 10 says, The tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Jacob's mourning is so great that 20 years later he is still weeping over the death, the supposed death of Joseph. Painful as it was this very day when he holds the blood-soaked coat that his other sons bring him. The favorite son was dead and Jacob would spend the rest of his life grieving. Sin's price tag, is always greater than what it says on the label. And in fact, it is often paid on an extended long-term installment plan. Have you noticed? Years later, Jacob would lament, all these things are against me. When actually these things were what? They were working together for his good. I hope that we can all... Decide, No matter how painful our circumstances are right now, no matter how bleak it looks, that as a child of God, would you just program into your heart and mind, Lord, I know your word teaches all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean that God approved the brother's actions or gave them the idea to do it. The providence of God teaches that God intervenes in spite of the deeds of man to circumvent and to work out the ultimate conclusion of their plans to bring about his own. Aren't you glad that God is a providential God? The sovereign God of ours intervenes in the affairs of man. Let me ask you, I want to take a poll. Has he not intervened on your case? Let me tell you more times than you'll ever know until you stand before him one day and see how he led and guides you all the way by his marvelous mercy and grace. I quoted half a verse a while ago, and that's not right to do. It's always wrong, Dr. Talley, just to take a part of a verse, isn't it? We're to tell the whole verse. May I correct my my homiletical or I don't even know the word to use, my preaching problem there, okay? I've violated. I quoted part of Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoso covers his sin shall not prosper. And that's true. If, if I didn't say anything else, that would be true. But, but praise the Lord. There's a conjunction there. Yeah. We love those conjunctions, don't we? Yeah. The latter part of that verse says something else. Whoso covers his sin shall not prosper. And that is true because another verse says, The wages of sin is death. The Holy Spirit, though, puts that beautiful, glorious, precious but there. That's connecting something, and we need to see what's connected to it. It Tells us whoso confesses and forsakes his sin... Guess what? Shall have mercy. That's a spiritual law, too. Just as true, it's not based, it doesn't matter how you feel about the law of gravity, it's true. It doesn't matter how you feel about that verse. God says, If you do this, I'll do this. You cover your sin, you will not prosper. You may prosper a hundred years down here below, but there's a day coming when the secrets of men will be revealed. Well, I just remind you of that. So, you will not prosper. Ultimately you will not prosper. Whoso cover this sin will not prosper. The only way to deal with sin is to drag it out in all of its ugliness. I don't know about you. There's some things I would just rather take a beating than do, like go into a house and drag out a dead creature under these there, you know. All kinds of things come to mind. Or or in an attic where there something has died and it needs to be dealt with, you know, or When I'm out in the yard, I don't know about y'all, but when I'm I'm working, I just say, Lord, I don't know if this is scriptural to pray, but I'm going to pray it anyway. Please help me not to see a snake. I pray that every time I'm working in in ivy and where the rocks are. And then I pray, (laughs) if I do see it, help him not to bite me. (laughs) Now, y'all can laugh if you want to. I'm just being honest here with you. Just don't let me see it. But but more than that, don't let it do anything to me. And I should have a third part. Don't let me do anything to myself, you know. As a result of seeing this, things need to be uncovered. Whoso covereth the sin shall not prosper. That's a, a law that, that cannot be rescinded. But there's a, and God always in his mercy has an equal corresponding blessing that overweighs the law. But whoso confesseth, in confession, true confession is repentance and it's joined with forsaking. You see, it's built into it. That's why it has it there in that way. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. Don't we need it? Depth of mercy, can there be mercy reserved for me? Yes, yes, for you and you and you and me. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There, my burdened soul found, what church? Liberty at Calvary. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that whoso confesses And forsakes their sins, shall have mercy. And so we come on this Lord's Day morning with a very sad story before us. And yet we see your grace and your mercy all the way through it. We thank you for Joseph's example and your grace in his life. And so we come just now, Lord. We come for cleansing. We as your children have walked through this world This past week, and there have been things that we've been envious of. There are thoughts that we've had. There may have been things we've said. There may have been things we carried out that we would not want another person on earth to know. And our tendency, Lord, is like Adam and Eve to to hide from you. But you have so appointed our ways that you have led us to this portion of Scripture. And by your Spirit has uncovered these things to our eyes. And we come confessing and asking for the grace to forsake. Oh Lord, give us genuine repentance, heartfelt repentance. And may it show forth in our actions. Lord, to that one who is outside of Christ, they've never humbled their heart to you and salvation. Your spirit has been working in their life and showing them their need of the Savior and that he is the only Savior. Now I pray that you would bring them to that place of absolute surrender. And may they just cry out in faith right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus and because of his great work at Calvary, save me. You said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And and that call of faith will be heard at the, the mercy seat. We thank you that your throne is a throne of mercy, a throne of grace. We need great grace. And we thank you that it's available. Oh, Lord, use this gospel to the saving of the lost in our midst. Bring us all to where we should be, Lord. May this message be used to help us to consider our ways and to come to our God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.